All right, good morning. So, morning to everybody online, upstairs. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's so, what a good morning we've had so far, and I hope I don't let us down. So, <laughs> but we're going we're gonna to continue this morning in our, in our sermon series on the foundations of the early church. Um, and in particular, we're going to be exploring the, the small topic of justice today. So I'm praying for a little extra boldness as well as my coffee to kick in because i got to speak fast enough to cover justice in like 40 minutes. <laughs> so obviously justice is a huge topic and we're not going to be able to cover it all. Um, but we're going to focus on how God defines justice biblically and I'm really excited and also nervous because I think the Lord has some real personal challenges for us uh, in his words this morning, and that he's going to try and shift how we define justice, uh, expect justice, and walk in justice. Um, I'm also a little extra nervous because like, my mom and dad are right over there. <laughs> so uh, good news is I know I'm going to get some honest feedback at the end of this. So, justice. What is justice? What comes to your mind? So is justice this blindfolded lady? She holds a sword, scales. She's outside pretty much every one of our courthouses. She, of course, symbolizes that idea of the impartial weighing of evidence. Um, the sword actually also stands for her right to execute justice uh, immediately. Um, Justice could also be Justin Bieber's latest album. I, I can't say I've heard it, but you cannot do any internet search with the word justice in it without this coming up. Like you're searching, you know, biblical justice in ancient Israel, and it's like, Justin Bieber. <laughs> but the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines justice as the maintenance or administration of what is just, especially by the impartial adjustment of conflicting claims or the assignment of merited rewards or punishment. If you're like me, you need it without all the big words. Basically, justice is getting what you deserve, either good or bad, in accordance to the situation. Now, justice is such a big topic, we could break it into distributive justice, procedural justice, retributive justice, restorative justice, then under those you have social justice, economic justice, political justice, civil justice, criminal justice, and that was literally just a brief summary of what I could see in the table of contents on the Wikipedia page. So how are we gonna look at justice today? Well, I mean, I just admitted to reading a Wikipedia page, so I've clearly established that I have no academic knowledge or experience in this topic. But instead, we're just going to go and look at how the early church understood and faced justice, and then how God's definition of justice compares to the ones that we've just kind of looked at. So first, let's just pray this morning. Israel, you have the Hebrew culture, the Old Testament, the Levitical laws, the temple. You then have the Hellenistic or Greek culture, its philosophy of Plato, Aristotle, uh, mutually assured justice. And then finally, you have this Roman ruling class and its culture of laws and also military power. So 
in the midst of all of this, the early church is also trying to figure out how to transition from old to new covenant. Obviously, those are our words. They didn't have any idea of, of all of this. But they're trying to transition from the Mosaic laws that they know, the understanding of how they're taught them, to what Jesus then came and taught them. So the good news is that God is actually really clear about what his idea of justice is. And this is, this is right from the beginning. Justice is not something that God just believes in. This is one of his defining characteristics. He, he can't avoid giving justice because to do otherwise would be like him trying to lie. He just can't do it. So we see in Micah, for Lord is the God of justice, Deuteronomy, the rock, his word is perfect, for all his ways are justice, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. Then in Psalms, I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and will execute justice for the needy. Isaiah, for the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. And then finally, we get this verse in Psalms where it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. And this last verse is really important to us today because it uses both Hebraic words that are used to define justice, Sedek and Mishpat. Now these two words roughly correspond to what some people have called primary and rectifying justice. So rectifying justice is mishpat. This is kind of what we typically think of justice. It means punishing wrongdoers, caring for the victims of unjust treatment. But then there's primary justice, or sedek. And that's behavior that if it was prevalent in the world would render rectifying justice unnecessary because everyone would be living in a right relationship with God. The righteous life that results is profoundly social because we're all affecting each other as we live out this life. So this is why this word is actually alternatively translated in the Bible as both justice and righteousness. Now, when I hear the word righteousness in the Bible, I tend to think in terms of like private morality, sexual chastity, diligence in prayer, Bible study, but the way that the Bible defines Sedek is actually a day-to-day -day living in which a person conducts all relationships in family and society with fairness, generosity, and equity. So God's definition of justice is not only about rectifying what is wrong, or mishpat, but also living a life that is just, Sedek. So now at this point, if you're like me, you're thinking, all right, that was a whole lot of Old Testament verses, but this Sedek sounds a lot more New Testament than Old. You know, where's the blood, the wrath, the vengeance? Where's those blood laws that John mentioned a couple weeks ago? What about those refuge cities that he talked about that were needed to prevent, you know, immediate vengeance by family members on another? And that's the bad news. So even though Israel was taught both meanings of justice, they really focused on mishpat and not on living out sedek. They focused on getting justice 
instead of living out justice. So we're going to go back, see if these next couple verses are a little bit more what we think of as, as Old Testament. So in Exodus it says, But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, or stripe for stripe. Leviticus then basically echoes this and says, anyone who injures their neighbor is to be injured in the same manner. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. The one who has inflicted the injury must suffer the same injury. And this is where the Old Testament gets greatly misunderstood. Because we we all know this phrasing of an eye for an eye. But both of these cases, it's actually referring to the situation of a court case sitting in front of a judge for sentencing. So this phrasing was actually meant for legislators or judges to be used to weigh the sentencing. It was never meant to actually advocate personal vengeance. And in fact, the Bible says in Romans, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So we're going we're gonna to take a little break and we're going to come back to that thought of vengeance is the Lord. But first we're going to talk a bit about Old Testament social justice. So did anyone know that the biblical justice code is unique in that it is the only ancient justice code that does not apply justice according to your class, your social class. The other well-quoted verse of, uh, or code of laws is the Babylonian uh, code of, of Hammurabi, and in it, criminal penalties, just wait, did I miss a cue for a slide? Sorry, nope, I'm good. Okay, uh, criminal penalties change depending on your social class. So, If a man of an upper class murdered someone of a lower class, his sentence could just be a financial fine. But if a man of lower class even stole from someone of a higher class, the penalty was death. No ifs, no ands, no buts, it's death. But God's justice has always demanded the same penalties for the same crimes for each person regardless of social status. And the Mosaic Law never punished theft with death. Not because theft is not serious, but because God sees every human life as infinitely more valuable than property. But yet the idea that every human had equal dignity and worth was equally foreign to the Greeks and the Romans. Both of these other cultures affecting the time of the early church were famous for their rigid belief in their superiority and the inferiority of what they called the barbarians. Aristotle famously said that some races and nations deserve to be slaves. And so ancient cultures, aside from Israel, also lacked any sense that the poor or the weak might have the slightest intrinsic value. Greek and Roman law, like many other ancient systems, originally adopted what's called the principle of personality, and that is that the law of the states, the law of the state, applies only to its citizens. 
So therefore, foreigners had no rights, and unless it was treated at that time between a treaty between the state and Rome, they and their property could be seized like ownerless pieces of property by any Roman. Now at this point, I kind of had this like, oh wait, this seems a little strange. And so for the academics among you, you might be thinking, well wait, didn't the Roman laws like form all of our Western European laws and then in turn form the basis that we based our North American laws on? And the answer is yes, but those actually Roman laws weren't put into place until 500 years after Jesus. <laughs> so in the time of the early church, it is really the rule of arms that held. Justice was what Rome decreed and could enforce by its armies. So what the Greeks, the Romans, other ancient cultures lacked was the book of Genesis, which teaches us in the first chapter that all humans were equally created in the image of God. Now after Genesis, the Bible just assumes that we've taken that at, at, at equal value. So it's assuming that we consider all humans equal. We see in Proverbs, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Uh, also in Proverbs, the rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. And I think it's sometimes really lost on us that when we read about Jesus, how much he shocked the reigning authorities with the very simplest of actions. It was not always the things that he said. It's that he would go to poor people's houses. He talked to them. He treated them as equals instead of the poor, unclean, unrighteous, unconnected social pariahs that the Romans, Hellenistic, and Jewish religious authorities thought they were. Jesus shocked the social sensibilities of the day by receiving and treating all classes of people with equal love and respect. Samaritans were seen by the Jews as racial inferiors, yet twice Jesus places the Samaritans on the same spiritual level as the Jewish people. Jesus touched off a riot when he declared that God even loved the Gentiles as much as the Jews. Jesus reached out to lepers who were social outcasts. He touched them, defying contemporary social prohibitions. He exhorted his disciples to not only be generous to the poor, but to even welcome them into their homes and their families. Now, hospitality at that time was an act of friendship, and it was partnership. And so it's, it's really shocking to treat the poor as equals in this way. And he called out the religious authorities, sorry, religious authorities for being so diligent with some of the Mosaic laws, but forgetting the overall pictures. In Matthew, we have the verse, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And it's in emulating Jesus that the early church really stood out among the nations. And, and one reason why they were so unjustly persecuted. 
They loved and fed the poor. They welcomed them into their midst. The rich sold their properties to pay for their outreach. They met in community, welcoming foreigners, widows, Samaritans, Gentiles. They even dedicated people to ensuring the equal distribution of resources and to the service of all people, regardless of social or even their country status, because Jesus had shown them the true Sadiq, and they were emulating their king. Now, Jesus used his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and he spoke directly to the people on their understanding of the Mosaic laws. And he wanted to shift their perspective on justice among really a lot of other topics that he brought up in that sermon. It's a big one. (laughs) But, But Jesus knows that what he's asking is for the Jewish people to give up their taught understanding of the laws and go back to the text and the intention of the laws so that he can give new depth to that understanding. It's, it's really clear to say that, you know, as he said in Matthew, I did not come to abolish the laws or the prophets. I came to fulfill. So he's not, he's not throwing anything out, but he wants people to go back and say, this is what you were taught, but this is actually what it says And this is what you're supposed to understand. So Jesus continues in his sermon to go back and address those earlier verses that we read. You have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. That sure sounds a lot like Sadek to me. And this is a really important point that Jesus is showing us. Jesus came to show us Sadek, not to bring immediate mishpat. So Jesus came to bring justice, which is both pieces, and his ministry was to bring justice to a broken creation. But what form did he show us and illustrate to us and live as an example of? It was righteousness. Living right with God and creation. And this is another part of why the Jewish nation could not come to grips with Jesus being the Messiah. The Jewish nation had been waiting for hundreds of years for their Messiah to come, their great promised king to come and bring justice. In Isaiah 9, we read, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government, or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. We know this verse. It gets read every Christmas at least. 
But now we see that it contains both mishpat and sedek, justice and just living. The Jewish people also knew this verse, but they wanted and expected a leader that would come and bring mishpat to their perceived injustices, to wreak havoc on their enemies, to kick out the Romans and establish an earthly kingdom, to right all the wrongs that had been done to them. Instead, they got Jesus. The Jesus that said, we need to turn the other cheek. That came to show us Sedek, to be an example of how to live in righteousness so that Mishpat would not be needed in the future. Then their king went and died so that our past injustices to others would be forgiven to establish not an earthly kingdom, but an eternal one. So while Israel was focused on their justice, Jesus was focused on God's justice. And that justice includes both Sedek and Mishpat. But the vengeance and rectification Jesus gave on to the Father and to the Father's timing. Now we don't have to look far to understand that we're still very much like Israel. We want Mishpat much more than we desire to do the effort required to live out Sedek. I'm the father of three, well, soon to be four children. And we've all been children, some a little bit more recently than others. Some of us haven't even truly grown up. <laughs> but we know that when one of our siblings was doing something wrong, what was the first thing we did? That's right, we gently corrected them, we prayed with them, and then we explained to them how they had hurt us so that they wouldn't do it anymore. No! We screamed loudly, we ran to the nearest parent, and then we stood back to watch the wrath of our parent come down in blood and vengeance, to watch our parents punish our siblings and bring them to instant justice. Now, were any of us taught to do that? No. No, we're taught to live according to the rules, according to what is right. But our broken nature is at full display, even as we are in toddlers, that while we want to avoid discipline, we have a perverse desire to see others have justice come down upon them. But we need to be very careful here <laughs> because one of the promises that God gave in those earlier verses is that he is going to establish justice. And that one, to be very clear, is mishpat. <laughs> so that means that in this life, at the hands of man, or later, when we stand before the Father, we will face mishpat for our actions. Well, in answer to this, I just have to repeat the choice of David in 1 Chronicles. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great, but do not let me fall into human hands. Greg, a couple weeks ago, during the Restore Conference, he talked about the timing of God in regarding to healing, but this really spoke to me also so well in how the timing of the Lord's justice also works. Justice is coming to us all, but we don't know whether it will be miraculously now. I think of Saul on the road to Damascus being blinded. Later, in time with natural process, 
Maybe that's criminals serving their time in prison. Or then, when Jesus comes back to bring the end. But for all of us, I think we live lives that are filled with all three of these. I think in terms of justice, some mistakes instantly convict us, some mistakes we continue to work to rectify, and others will be answered only before the Father. So what does this mean for us today? What, what do I want you to take away from all of this, other than the fact that Justin Bieber has a new album? How do we walk in Sadek and give our mishpat onto the Lord? Well, there's a couple easy ways that the early church showed us. Don't be racist. Don't be elitist. Give generously to the poor. And do whatever is within your power to include all people into the community that Jesus has invited you. Because it's not enough to be neutral. Jesus wasn't neutral. He was active in his love and making a change in the world. So we need to be the examples of Sadek in this world. No one will listen to Christians exhorting the world to just social relationships if within the church itself those relations are just as flawed and unjust. Within the greater church, wealth must be shared generously between the rich and the poor. The races should not merely get along, but must become a new humanity in which old divisions no longer prevail. We are called to be a royal nation, a new society in which family life, businesses practices, race relations, interpersonal relationships are forever changed because Jesus changed us. We are the pilot plant of the future kingdom of God. We are a place for the world to get that partial glimpse of what humanity will look like under Jesus' kingship and justice. So stop looking at the world to fix itself. No government or society on earth will ever eradicate poverty or racism. Did a government start the first free public schools? Did they start the first social welfare? Did they start the first free public hospitals? No. These were all started by the church when ordinary people decided to put God first and walk in his ways. Now, this isn't meant to be anti-government. This is also not about left or right politics. This is about putting our faith into the true government and trusting God in its timing. Now, our government here in Canada has established a justice department, and it's a world-class organization that is based on many of the principles that God has given us. It's filled with world-class people that are doing great work, but without God in its process, it is just a human process. And we know that no human justice will ever be perfect. It's the best we have but it is still an imperfect solution in an imperfect world. God's justice is true justice because only he in the fullness of time can completely restore to us all that was lost by injustice. When God gives eternity to those that believe in him, when Jesus comes in the fullness of time, then we will get to experience perfect justice. Sadek and Mishpat both in unison. 
Justice for each of us is so personal, and it's yet it's so broad. We, we've all felt the sting of injustice and that temptation of wishing justice and vengeance on others. Maybe we even went as far as to take justice into our own hands. But today we need to shift our perspective and look to God's justice and trust in his timing. Now the points behind me are short, they're sweet, but I'm not kidding myself when considering the immensity that these, the effort these points take. Each of these is a sermon in itself and a lifetime of prayer and dedication. But yet this is what Jesus asks of us. Jesus was betrayed, falsely arrested, beaten, mocked, scourged, and then hung as a criminal using the most savage method known. At any point during that process, Jesus could have claimed his personal justice. He could have called on his divine power and gone eye for eye with all of those committing injustice. He was even mocked by bystanders for not doing that, for not using his power to bring vengeance and to bring himself down from the cross. But Jesus showed us to focus on God's justice, not on our own. He focused on doing God's will and the Father's timing, not his personal desires. So I feel this morning that God in particular wants us to release a lot of our experienced injustices to him. To ask the Lord to show us what we've been holding on to. I don't know if it was betrayal, false accusation, a business deal that went wrong, a promise that stands unfulfilled, something that was stolen from you. I don't know if it was recent or you've been holding on to it for years, but whatever it is that still makes you mad, angry, or hurt when you think about how you were treated, and whatever it is, let's ask the Lord to show you how to let it go. So let's give those on to the Lord today. Let's let him carry that burden for us. So this morning I'm going to ask you to, to rise and we're going to pray and ask forgiveness for, for what we have carried that is not ours to carry. So let's ask forgiveness for when we have desired punishment for others, when we have dealt out our own punishment because we know we stand just as condemned. And let's pray how to walk out each of our days demonstrating Sadek to the world around us. Lord, we just thank you this morning for your justice is perfect and your timing is perfect, Lord. And we just thank you for the we just thank you for the two words that you've given us to understand the whole way that you understand justice that it's not only about rectification and getting back the things that are lost, Lord, but it's also about living out in a way that we don't cause injustice to those around us, living out a way that treats all equal. And so, Lord, this morning, just as you've called me, Lord, just, I just pray that we would think on the things that we've been holding on to, business deals gone wrong, things that have hurt us in the past that we still hold this desire for vengeance, this desire to see justice come to them, this desire to see hurt come to people because they have hurt us. And we know, Lord, that 
Vengeance is yours. We know that justice is yours, Lord. We know that timing is yours. And so, Lord, we trust that whether they come to justice now, whether they come to justice in, in, within their life, or whether they come to justice at the end, Lord, we know that it is your justice. And so, Lord, we just give those on to you, Lord. They were never our burden to carry. They were yours. You have so unjustly decided to carry our burdens. You have so unjustly decided to carry our sins. And so, Lord, we stand condemned this morning, but also redeemed by your love, by your mercy, by your grace, and in awe of just the things that you do to help us live and to live better lives. So, Lord, this morning we just give these things on to you, and we just pray that as you continue to bring these things up to us, Lord, we know that we will face further injustice, Lord, but we just pray that as these things happen, Lord, that it would just be this process of us giving it on to you to carry, Lord, that you would stand in the yoke with us and carry these burdens, Lord, that you would show us how to give them up, how to let them go, and to relieve ourselves so that we can focus on walking in Sadek, walking in the justice that you showed us how to walk, loving those around us, speaking your word and your joy to those around us, Lord, that we would be lights to the world and show them just a glimpse of the kingdom that you have yet to bring, but that we just look forward in such glorious anticipation. Amen. Beloved, there was a, a weight to that message. I hope you felt it. Thank you, Alex. Let's give Alex a round of applause. That was a, a mountain of work that went into that 40 minutes. Uh, we know the amount of study, contemplation, organization, waiting on the spirit to order the thoughts and words in a way that's clear to us in a way that we can be convicted by the Holy Spirit. If I were a professor, I'd give you an A. I think I'd give you an A+. Mom and Dad, I hope you are really proud. I was just putting myself in your shoes and thinking about little Alex when he was 5 years old and 10 years old. and Yeah, just think Jensen, running around in church, and now your son is up here preaching the gospel, the pure gospel. You know, we're talking about a radical community, are we not? When Jesus came and he birthed the New Testament people, the early church, as we see in the book of Acts, they were radical because they embraced his understanding of justice. It stood in such stark contrast to the pharisaical community that was focused on Mishpah and not Sadek. And we're talking about diametrically completely different, completely different spirit in those two different communities. And that's why they were shining so brightly. And that's why the legal community was persecuting the spirit-led community. Galatian teaches us that the law was given to us as a custodian until what? Until faith, until spirit would come, until Jesus would release it into the ultimate family, the ultimate nation. That's our call. Saints, that's our call. I hope you caught at the foundation of God's justice is compassion and humanity. He created us. He loves us. We're made from the dust. He knows our frame. And that's, 
That's the spirit that we carry. We're really excited about our action center, the new deacons that are coming on. John is really leading that. Before he came into ministry, he had such a strong emphasis in, in the justice arena, in the gospel justice arena, and we want to express that more and more to our city because it is redemptive. It's not punitive, it's redemptive. Amen? So God, we just thank you this morning for coming and sitting with us, opening our hearts and opening our minds. And for the word of God, Lord, just revealing and educating and challenging and taking us into a deeper place. We thank you, God, this morning. Let the things that you've impacted our hearts practically, the challenge that was given at the end, things that we have held on to, things that have actually harmed our even physical systems, our emotional makeup, things that we've held on that have been toxic and poisonous to us. Lord, by your grace, let us release it and walk in, Father God, that grace that you had. So we thank you for your blessing. Thank you for your presence on each of us. And God, we go in your favor and your peace. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a tremendous week.